Okay, right, it's 12 o'clock, and here we are back with Ron Chat Live, episode 35. Um, it's been, feels like it's been ages. It's definitely been a few weeks, because um, I was in the Sahara Desert, which I'm so excited I was able to say. Um, yeah, for those of you who haven't seen, it's all on Facebook. Um, I had the honor and privilege and just sheer joy of uh, being there to film and uh, interview runners for the Ultra Mirage in Tunisia, in the Sahara. Um, it's a 20-hour ultra, 100K. Um, 20 hours is the cutoff point. Um, and out of the 127 runners, I had the delight of interviewing um, the winners, the male re- uh, winner, Rashid El Morabati, who some of you, if you follow your ultra running, probably know um, just a phenomenal. I mean, he's won the Marathon de Sable, I think, the last six years. He, uh, no surprise, really, he won this event um, in eight and a half hours, which was hilarious because we were at checkpoint three and we suddenly got a, a message through saying quick get to checkpoint five because he's come through we're not really ready for him yet he's going to be crossing the finish line so we literally had to rush to the finish line to make sure we got there before he got over so we could give him his medal and stuff um it was it was an amazing event and i was totally humbled so if you haven't checked out the videos on run chat live uh, facebook then go and have a look there's some great interviews on there if i say so myself um Bushrad uh, Lundgren, the female winner. There's a fantastic interview with her. Such a humble person. Shefia Hendwi, who's the pride of Tunisia. Um, lovely interview with her. And also the what's almost turning viral, Pam Philpot, the 59-year-old um, from Kent, if I remember rightly. Um, it's just beautiful. Um, 59 years old. She's run 52 marathons in 52 weeks. Uh, Marathon de Sabla. And literally, you pause it and rewind going, did she just say that she's run 52 marathons in 52 weeks? So, yeah, Pam Philpot, please keep sharing her because she is such um, a tribute running and just um, a morale booster so anyway yeah all on facebook what else can i tell you about um let's just make sure that uh, brighton beard company sponsors of the podcast are given um, a mention let's bring up a little bit of uh, their website so you can see there we are um Brighton Beer Company, um, obviously, being Hisute, I am totally into products, and they're the products I want. I was actually sent this month, um, I've been trying out the black pepper and grapefruit oil, um, which, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? Um, in terms of how it looks after your beard and stuff, great. I mean, it's something you I would recommend, um, both the balm and the oil. But in terms of essence, as in the smell, then um, I, I can't get past their Alfrista bergamot and rose germinate. I mean, that's just, it's a bit more expensive, but if you remember episode, I can't remember it was a few months ago, I was just blown away when I smelt it. So still the Alfristan is in the lead. Um, I'll totally recommend that. It's a 15% discount if you use the code RCL15. Um, and that's being used, which I'm fantastic. I'm so happy I'm introducing people to these product balms and oils and brushes. So, so yeah, so do visit their website, the Brighton Beer Company, um and uh yeah and enjoy their products what else have i got to tell you about before i bring my fantastic guests up the one chat live conference wow um that's like in 17 days now um i feel like i've got so much to fit in um our guests today um run 3d jessica leach is or light have to check the pronunciation actually she's done that before and um, jess is the founder um and she's going to talk to us all about gate analysis and the run 3d system and also, we've got the honor of um, having legendary podiatrist. Legendary always makes you sound old, doesn't it? I have to check whether legendary is okay. But he has been at the game for about 30 years now. So a wealth of experience. Um, Trevor Pryor is going to be with uh, Jess as well. So really looking forward to talk to him. Um, and uh, like I say, one through d one of the exhibitors at the conference. Um, they'll be down there with treadmill and software system for all attendees to, to look at, experience, ask questions, 
So very excited about that coming up. If you're still looking for a ticket, then uh, do go over to um, rcl2019.invite.com. Um, and also, uh, yeah, we're giving away a hundred pounds voucher off birthday ticket and a uh, virtual ticket in case you want to watch it at home, either live or the recording. And for that hundred pounds, courtesy of uh, Mike James, the endurance physio, uh, Mike did our 10 by 10 challenge. He's one of the speakers at the conference. And you can see on the screen here, there are his 10 runs, which he did 10K in 10 days, like I did in uh, Rhodes recently. And as a result, he won £100. Well, he doesn't need a voucher to get to his own conference where he's speaking. But he said, give it to one of the runners. Give it to one of the uh, people coming to the conference. So if you're a therapist and you're looking for a birthday ticket or a virtual ticket, then this is a £100 voucher you can get. All you've got to do is post on your social media. The speaker I'm most looking forward to seeing at RCL Running Conference in October 30, 31st in Brighton is, doesn't have to be Mike, okay? Please don't make his head any bigger than it is. You could talk about Ian Griffiths. You could talk about, I want to see Run 3D. You could say that. That'd be quite typical. You could say Simon Bartold, Jack Chu, J.F. Escolia, Paul Westwood, Paul Coker, Jack Chu. I've said Jack Chu twice. You choose the speaker you want. And make sure you copy Run Chat Live in because I will be picking on Friday one of those uh, posts and handing them a £100 discount. There you go. So you heard it here first. Uh, make sure you get involved if you're looking to go there. Ah, take a breath, Matt. Today on Run Chat Live, episode 35, I am very, very happy um, to bring you a gate analysis special. We had one a while back with Nick Knight, um, and uh, now we've actually got the founder of the software that nick knight uses on 3d um along with like i say uh, who's just uh, jess and uh along with legendary podiatrist trevor pryor who's also very much involved with run 3d software so that said and done i think i've got everything sorted i can bring them up You are live and on screen. You can now talk. There we go. <laughs> with a look on their faces. I'm not quite sure if they can hear us. Can they hear us talking here? Should we keep quiet? And um, they can hear you talking now. So thank you so much for joining us, Jess and Trevor. Thanks for the invite. You look very comfortable there and very composed. Where are you? Uh, we're at the Royal Society of Medicine, actually, in, in on Wimpole Street. Nice. And what have you got going on? You've actually managed to squeeze us in, haven't you, before another presentation? Yeah, we like to keep ourselves busy, so we're off to the London um, London branch of College of Podiatry. That's the one. <laughs> so London branch of the College of Podiatry. I've got a, a one-day meeting and just twisted my arm to present at Sunday lunchtime, which is a bit of a shock to the system. She twisted your arm, I'm sure. Well, actually, if I can imagine anyone twisting anyone's arm, it would be Jess, because Jess, you, you're you're very driven, aren't you? Tr tracking you down and getting a response from you is hard work because you're very busy, aren't you? Let's face it. <laughs> you are no it's great it's great to see um, um how involved you are and you also have time pointing the camera at jess for the moment i need to let viewers know that you're actually a world uh, record holder aren't you i am it's a slightly obscure record but yes i hold the i did hold the world record for both the single and double buggy marathon um, but my single one's been beaten now. I still hold the hold the double. So running running a marathon with my two children in a double buggy. 
That's amazing. And which marathon was it out of interest? Uh, Abingdon. Nice and flat, not too busy. Um, and you have to know the organisers because not all marathons are keen to let a buggy runner join the, join the field, basically. I was going to say, because I know Brighton does a little do it. Um, yeah. Not to say I would dream of pushing my two around a marathon. I'll go 5Ks, but any more than that, and they start hitting each other. So how old were your little when you did this single and double? Um, that was about two and a half, and my little Semi was about six months. I did have a support crew, my husband ran beside me. His job was purely to look after the kids. My job was to do the running. So he was singing, doing snacks, everything else. I had to just focus on moving forwards. Amazing. What did you use? Buggy-wise. Buggy-wise, what were you using? I did that with the out and about nipper. Ah, same as me. What the sport? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very good. And the, and the double? Uh, yeah, no, that's that was the double. Yeah. Oh, right. I can afford that. I got the single, but the double. I got a second hand uh, Iron Man, what are they call the, the yellow and black ones. Yeah, that's which, which is great as well. Fantastic. Okay, well, lovely to talk to another buggy runner. I'm not in your league, but um, yeah, great fun. Um, and quite good for cross training, too. I think we were chatting yeah. about earlier on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, Trevor, I mean, it's unfair to bring you in after a world record holder but um <laughs> staying pretty active at the moment you involved in anything yeah i mean i, I work out most days but mainly in sort of gym based uh, that type of stuff you used to play rugby that with my game but now I'll probably focus on golf so i play golf each week so yeah, in the intro always it, it was a worrying point with simon bartold as well um calling anyone legendary makes them automatically sound either quite old or dead um, in your case, fortunately, it's the, well, actually, I can't say that now, but legendary, yeah. You've been, <laughs> younger than Simon. <laughs> you've been around, have you been longer than Simon? I'm younger than Simon. Oh, you're younger than Simon, I was going to say. Just to give listeners an idea, um, especially runners, I mean, therapists, you should have heard of Trevor Pryne. If you haven't, like I always say, then shame on you. Get Googling. But, um, yeah, Trevor, how long have you been around for in terms of when did you start podiatry? Uh, well, I, I got my base qualification in 1983. Uh, and most of our viewers were even born yeah <laughs> you're probably right actually that's that's when i look at date of birth so no one do <laughs> how were you born in 2000 that's impossible yeah uh, yeah yeah now look you go oh you're the same age as my kids oh yeah but yeah so i qualified in 83 um biomechanics was just in its infancy at the time and um, we weren't really taught it at college so it was all post-grad um, in fact, it wasn't a degree course. I was the second cohort of a postgrad degree in podiatry at, at that time. Um, and then I, I focused a little bit on uh, podiatric surgery. So um, I've got a surgical qualification. Um, and around about that time as well as when I started working in football. Um, because of my work in football, and I was going to do some lectures on uh, sports medicine. I joked with my daughter, we have a, well, I should be doing a lecture. She says, yeah, all right. And, basically when someone asks me do it, I'm like, yeah, right then, yeah, right then, and then more people ask you, so my career is based on, yeah, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then, you know what it's like, so you do it, so somebody else, you do it, and it becomes self-fulfilling, so, and it, look, I enjoy it, I'm a, if, if, you, if I could have done anything in the world, it would be a professional sportsman, but I wasn't good enough, and I certainly didn't have the mental attitude to do it, so the next best thing is treatment. Yeah, that's a humble way of looking at it, and making them world-class and helping them, yeah, that's fair enough. Behind every great professional athlete, an even better therapist of some form, isn't there? I think we can safely say. And how did you run into Jess? How did that and run 3D? How did that come about? Uh, well, at the beginning, I, I'd seen a system uh, in Canada, um, which was basically, they were obviously using 3D gate analysis and using it in clinics. 
So I figured, well, I made it uh, cost-effective enough to do it in clinic. And um, for, since about the mid-90s, we've used a system. It's called PDAR. It's like a, an insult-based system that has little four sensors in them. So when you look at someone walking, running, doing whatever, you can see the way the foot loads. And so we would see people that we'd expect the foot to load in a certain way, but then actually saw it loaded in a different way. So it must be something outside of the foot that was influencing. So we then refer them off to get assessed and, and treated, but never really got any feedback. So I thought, oh, that would just be perfect for my clinic to start to work out while we're seeing these things. And um, that company put me in contact with Jess, who was just setting up Run 3D. And I just had a conversation with them, well, I'm in. And that is actually one thing that made me get in my car and drive to Oxford, which was pretty rare in those days. And I just, as soon as I saw the system, I thought, yeah, um, that, that's, that's right for my clinic. And Jess, um, how does it, where were you at this moment on the timeline? So you were in Oxford, and um, yeah, how did you get involved with it? Yeah, so I come at it actually from an from engineering perspective. So I did my undergrad in engineering, um, got to the end of that, and we started to do like the biomedical aspect, which was the bit that I really loved, applying maths to like the human body to understand it better. And then managed to combine running with engineering and kind of biomedical takes you down the, down the biomechanics route. So basically, after my undergrad, I stayed at Oxford and did a PhD in running biomechanics. I was based at the Oxford Gate Lab at the Nuffield Orthopaedic Centre. Got to the end of that, and as Trevor said, began to kind of question, okay, why is this technology that we're using from a research context not available to real runners and real clinicians? And so that's where it all started. Flew out to Canada, um, found the system there. Um, essentially brought it back, spun out Run3D as a company. Um, we've since actually done, done our own, so Run3D is now, now our, our system and our, our software development. But yeah, so I'm an engineer, so don't ask me anything too clinical. <laughs> no, it sounds like an amazing um, combination. Um, that's fascinating. And, um, and how long ago, just to fit on the timeline, how long ago was that? When did you first find the system in Canada and start thinking, this is definitely for me? Yeah, so Run3D was spun out about seven years ago. Um, and say when Trevor turned up on the doorstep and said, I want one of these. And I said, well, I'm not selling them yet. I'm not ready. <laughs> um, and then, then we actually won an Innovate UK grant to make it real time. So obviously, I don't know if you've come across, there's loads of literature out there at the moment showing that gateway training is effective in treating MSK injuries. And so I was like, I want to do real time. I, you know, I want Run3D to be able to do this. So we applied to Innovate UK, which is a big grant funding body of the United Kingdom for kind of technical, technical startups and projects. Um, won the grant there and essentially went back to basics. And I think kind of went underground at that point and just did development for a couple of years um, and then launched Run3D real time, which is, which is what we still use now. So yeah, company's been active seven years in our own software five years ago, and we've since actually won another grant um, to develop Walk 3D, which will be launched next year. So that's a targeting a more orthopedic, more elderly population. Yeah, that's interesting you should say that because I, I mean, I'm not practicing as a therapist anymore, but I still we still offer um, gait analysis. Um, we advertise specifically for runners, but we do. It's, it's surprising now how many people we get who say. Can you can you look at the gate for a walker as well and have a look at why I'm doing this and why this is happening and blah blah blah. So yeah, it seems like again you've spotted the market there and people who need help and they can provide analysis for walking. No, I think stuff. when we analyze people, we analyze them walking and running. Mm. Quite interesting because some of the more subtle problems show up walking and not running. Um, okay. Quite interesting. Yeah. So you can sit and um, you know so. 
we, we will use both, obviously, for the runners, we focus on the running, but quite often you see some of the more subtle things appear on walking. Oh, interesting. So there's a carryover sometimes, is there? Even though they're changing? Yeah, okay, interesting. What did you think? Um, again, this is not on the list of questions which I was going to ask you, but this always happens in this show. It's like I listen to you and I'm like, oh, ding, new question. But I remember when we set up with gait analysis, there was quite a few years ago, but there was a moment where it was totally new and not many people were doing it. And then there was a little bit of suddenly shops, shoe shops started using it. Mm -hmm. I remember people coming to us as a business and going, oh, you're in trouble now, aren't you? Um, because now the shops are doing it, you're gonna be out of business. And we were a little bit worried, but in actual fact, because the shops were focusing on a foot only gait analysis, well, I wouldn't even call it gait analysis, but that's just me being cynical. But because the shops are offering a foot, a look at your foot, and obviously following the pronation paradigm and stuff it's kind of one of the things that helped our business because it was a full body gate analysis and it helped our marketing did you find the same thing when the shops kind of started doing their foot analysis it made your product even more worthwhile uh well it was interesting because at the time when i started my my first video analysis kit was four security cameras through a quad fitter into a vcr that did frame analysis and it cost about five grand to set up in the early 90s I mean, now you do it on an iPhone, uh, a simple app. I mean, that was, that's how far you had to go to actually be able to do gate analysis well. And the, 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 the podiatry pronation paradigm was very much focused on the lower limb. So a, a lot of what we did was looking at lower limb, although there's a podiatrist in the States called Howard Dannenberg that talks about sagittal plane theory, and that's very much looking at what hip and knee function did. So we started to look elsewhere. And for me, the fact that the shops do it, started doing the video analysis meant that people knew that you could get video analysis. Right. So they come in. I guess the frustrating thing is when they come in and say, I've had my gate analysis. Right. Mm. Well, okay. Have you? <laughs> we'll show you what a gate analysis is then. You know, that's yeah, yeah. frustrating. But I think is that knowledge. And, and to be fair to the shops, I mean, we were probably following the same paradigm around footwear at the time as they were. Um, I mean, the research shows now that there's no evidence base for it whatsoever. Uh, and we're, we're taking a different track with footwear, but I, I, I never saw it as a threat. I just and and the clinic I I set up in was actually set up. It was it was uh, associated with the uh, the guys that worked at West Ham. We were near the training ground in Chapel Heath, so we set this clinic up. And the physio at the time was a guy called John Green, and there was a running shoe store in the in the in the clinic. Um, so the idea would come in. They could see the physios. They'd see us. They could go in. We could test the shoes. You get everything done as a kind of one-stop shop so it's quite that was quite quite unique and so again they had a little setup in the shop where they get people to come in on saturday but when they pick someone up they refer them to us so yeah it, yeah seeing that kind of threat to me yeah yeah i think there is benefit to the fact that runners now are a lot more um perceptive to the fact that yes my biomechanics and the way that i run is going to impact the loads that are being imparted on my body and so therefore is important in dictating a whether or not I've become injured, and B, what type of injury I'm going to have. So, yeah, the increase of awareness is good, but you do still get that, well, I can get this for free, what's different? But then that simply gives you the opportunity to explain, well, this is the technology we use, the service is being delivered by trained therapists who can, because it's all about interpreting the data, right? Anybody can capture it. It's how you interpret that information and make it useful and worthwhile, which is what you're paying for, ultimately. Very wise. Words I've written many a time, and I just love hearing it back. It is the interpretation, isn't it? You can have the best software in the world, but if you're looking at something and making some assumption, 
that's not necessarily true evidence-based yeah what's the point of the flashing lights okay that brings me on nicely to um the first question you guys are gonna have to fight amongst yourselves who wants to answer maybe you can have some code system or just elbow each other if you think you're talking too much but um what in your experience now i don't know whether it's changed much in the last five ten years but most runners who come to you what are they expecting to get out of gate analysis why do they come and see you i would say the majority come because they're injured and they want to run without pain so i would say 90 95 percent of the runners who come to our clinics so we have 13 different clinics across the uk and europe and the majority are i'm hurting i want to run again how can you help me okay so would you say oh yeah go on, I mean, well from, from my clinic i tend to get the referrals, like most of mine are referrals. Mm. So they tend to be people that have had, they've got the same injury and it's just recurred, 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 no matter what they've yeah. done. Or they've had this injury, they rehab that, now they've got another one, now they've got another one. And it's like, right, okay, can we try and work out why we're not being able to get this person back and running without further injury? So mine's slightly more specialist, I'll say, but, but injury, right, and the inability to either run at all because they're injured, Right, or train to the level they want to without getting an injury, or train to a level that allows them to perform to the level they want to. I think what's really interesting is that we see runners of all ages and all abilities, from the elite level at level athletes running in their GB best, down to the recreational runner who's just completed a couch to 5K. It's all about you know keeping active, the same principles apply, the same, same injuries, the same injury rates. So we, we see everything. And that's what keeps it interesting. Um, ultimately, yeah, we tend to get the more difficult cases, people who've tried this and tried that, and things still don't work. Um, so that keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? <laughs> I think that is, it makes me realise, actually, talking to you guys, that the kind of client you get, look, thinking about other therapists watching this, will depend very much in, in what where you are, in the kind of service you provide. Because I remember that, I mean, I think still our company we still tend to see quite a few runners who book again or when they call up it's like i need to know what shoes to wear but mm -hmm. if you're being referred by somebody else if someone's having this problem ongoing problem they've probably already learned that you don't get a get analysis really you're not going to see this person because to choose your shoe but how many of the runners you see are they are they looking for a recommendation on shoes as well or is that kind of yeah, lessened yeah because yeah. i get people coming in and they come in with the range of shoes so the, the problem is thinking of that old kind of model of classifying shoes into neutral motion control. But now you've got lightweight, low profile, you've got maximalist in Hoka, you've got the Nike 4%, right? You've got a range of shoes and people come in and say, right, actually I ran in this type of shoe and I developed this injury. Could you, can we look at, wow, how does this shoe affect my performance? So we're very much getting some of that. Um, and Part of my analysis, when I, when I give it at the end of it, one bit is my recommendations on footwear for that particular individual, right? And usually it's support. I think you're quite right. A lot of people will have the shoe that they're comfortable in. But as we know, that model may not be the same in two years' time, even though it's called the same. Mm. Like you know, the, the, the days when the companies would keep one model the same all the way through. And some, I think the people that struggle when, when that happens, when it changes the model and now they get an injury, the shoe probably wasn't the answer. They probably just haven't done the right rehab and got the right strength and endurance and conditioning. And now a little changes the bit that tips them over the edge. Yeah. I'm just, I guess, I mean, 
in in as soon as I believe, I like to believe that information is getting through and that runners are understanding now that it's not a case of how much you you pronate. Um, but then again, like we were talking about earlier, I go into runners forums on Facebook just to do a little bit, get an idea of what runners are talking about. I normally manage to stay there for three days before I ever get bored or chucked out, but there's still so much talk about, oh, I'm getting injured in this. I'm an overpronator. What shoe do you recommend? I mean, it's a question that appears every single day. So then I worry it's not getting out there. The, the powers that be that are still selling the, the overpronation model. And then some of the websites, the big stores, when I was chatting to Simon, I bought up one of the big retailers um, on choose your shoe. And this is like 2019. And within three or four screen changes, it was still, you have an overpronator. This is the shoe you need. You are over supernator. This is the shoe you need. Do you, do you still get people coming to, do you think it's changing the climate of what runners understand education wise, or is it still an uphill struggle? I think, I think there is some change, but in fairness to the running shoe stores and the companies, whilst our kind of understanding and philosophy has evolved to where it is now, we kind of said that paradigm drug, but given them nothing in, in replacement, right? So how do you advise someone what shoe to have? So they have a process at the moment, which by and large, they will probably feel has been successful. People have told them you can't do it that way. Well, how can we do it? Right? So they don't have anything else to replace it. So it becomes sort of self-fulfilling. So the emphasis has got to be on us about education and about, I mean, if they were really smart, what they do is say, here's what you are, and this is how you run in different shoes, and, and, and say, you actually should have probably three or four different types of shoes, depending on the activity you want to do. So when you're going to do this long, pounding run where this shoe has got loads of cushioning, when you want to go fast, you wear this shoe that's lightweight. When you do your box standard stuff, you do X, Y, and Z, so you have three, maybe four pairs of shoes that you choose for the activity, right? And then base it around comfort rather than just put pure pronation, you know. Yeah, um, you're far more diplomatic than me. I mean, that's probably why you're sitting where you are and I'm sitting here. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I think, like, again, without mentioning any names, but, like, one of the major shoe sellers has managed to update, because I like watching how they get rid of the, the wet foot test or something. That used to be on one of their websites. Step out the shower, have a look at the shape of your feet, leave on the wet ground, and that's how you decide. That's been deleted now, finally, on one site. But one of the sites has managed just to get rid of the word overpronation. They're actually bringing up little self-tests like stand with your feet together. What knee, way do your knees point in or out? How much running do you do a week? What sort of surface do you run on? They're asking kind of questions which are a little bit more evidence-based or useful for the final analysis. And, and I was clicking through thinking any moment now they're going to bring up overpronation, the word. But they've got rid of it, which I think is a fair enough. I mean, we know that maybe the the... the it's more about the the moment. It's about the velocity of pronating and be able to come out of it. But that's difficult to put into words. But but other websites are still using that old model, and they're still getting advert time in runners' world. And I'm just a bit more critical. I think just because you haven't got a, an easy model, you can't still put the old disproved stuff up there. It's your responsibility to get rid of it. So I'm a little bit more I don't know a bit more um, severe on these people than you are, Trevor. Obviously. Well, then, I mean, look. Reality is they've got a business to run, anyway, right? So, uh, and I think it's, I think the emphasis is on us to come up with the paradigm that can give you the indication. That's that's what I think we do. So, uh, for for me, it's like it challenges me to try and work out how I'm going to advise someone about a shoe, and therefore, you know, going forward, 
I think uh, I'd, I'd be interested in, in some research around that and looking and saying, right, well, actually, we've got a couple of ways we can advise you. Let's, let's research that and see whether or not um, that's predictive of the best shoe for you. Because there's some interesting things that's come out about where they try to um, estimate if there's a scientific way of kind of measuring the, the ride of a shoe, right? So does this feel, shoe feel good to you? Do you like the ride of the shoe? And there's a couple of little things that have shown to have a, a relationship with it. So these are the kind of things I think we do. So what we come out with a paradigm that means what they're doing is just being shown to be rubbish. I mean, mm. and I are involved in a, a Cochrane review at the moment with a, with a group looking at running shoes and injuries. So that's going to be an interesting publication. And hopefully, off the back of that, we can put out some of the lack of evidence about what's happening. Yeah, it takes That's a long good. time for research to trickle down. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's been, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's been studies on that as well, isn't there? There's research about how long it takes for research to make it through. Yeah, it's incredible. Okay. Is it 10 years, is it? Yeah. yeah it's crazy. How much? 16, apparently. Is it? Oh, crazy, isn't it? But, yeah, I think there's reasons for that as well. A lot of it has to do with our media and I don't know. I'm just more cynical. But hey, we'll move on from that. I agree with you. It should stimulate us to actually try to educate. But yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to Run 3D. OK, because I want our listeners, whether they're therapists. Actually, before I do run ahead, let's just bring up a little comment from Matt Hart. And there we go. Matt Hart for the podcast listeners who um, can't see the screen. Uh, Matt Hart, who I've had many conversations online with, seems to be a very um, clued up therapist himself. He says I provide a lot of football. You know, Matt, yeah? I'm sorry, Matt, your comment is biased. I'm going to remove it from the screen. And now <laughs> <laughs> Matt says, I provide a lot of footwear recommendations forward slash advice with 3D gate analysis in my clinic. The difference is, is that it provides very, diff that's off, very different information about what the shoe can or can't do at the ankle, knee and hip. OK, so he's saying that one of the advantages of run 3D system is that you're not just focusing on medial arch height you're getting a lot more information thanks matt that leads us very nice <laughs> matt said in the comments haha it's not that biased i know matt yeah yeah you're a great therapist thank you for joining us today so yeah let's move on to yeah run 3d the system talk us through what it does provide maybe what's unique about it why you think therapists can benefit from it from having it in their lab yeah sure so it's the same technology that you would have in research labs and specialist orthopedic hospitals and what we've tried to do is basically take the technology, which is infrared cameras and little little reflective dots. So the way I describe it to people is, imagine how they make films, and Gollum and film animations and computer games, we basically the same stuff. We don't have motion capture suits. We put the reflective dots on specific anatomical markers. We use that information then to create a computational model. And then from the model, we calculate joint kinematics. So we get sagittal, frontal, transverse plane motions. So that's looking at side, front, back, top down, um, at 200 hertz, basically the entire, entire game cycle. So that's the information we get back. We then compare in real time um, the, those kinematics versus an uninjured control database, and that gives an indication of whether someone's got too much or too little movement or any asymmetries in their gait pattern. We take um, discrete parameters that we know have been associated with, musculoskeletal overuse injuries. And then from that, the information is passed on to the clinician, so podiatrists, physiotherapists, sports medicine doctors, 
um, and they then use that information to try and understand why the person has got injured and ultimately then what they can do about it. Okay, fantastic. So um, presumably then, like rather like our system, you're not you're not relying on body marking at all then. So you can retest and put people on. It's very quick to set up, easy to use. No, we do put the markers on. So we have little reflective reflective dots go on yep. um, medial and lateral, femoral epicondyles, medial and lateral, okay. and things like that. So but it takes takes about five minutes for someone who's done it a few times to set them up. Oh, fantastic. And using them, then you get measurements and data, which you can then fantastic. Yeah, exactly. But then we record the position of those markers 200 times a second. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty accurate stuff. Basically, we've just taken this gold standard of gait analysis and said, okay, we'll black box the entire data analysis process. So if there are any clinicians out there who've used Vicon Nexus and things like that and spent hours filling in gaps of market trajectories, yeah, they, they do that all for you. Find foot strike, toe off, normalize the gait cycle, and spit out the results because ultimately that's what clinicians are interested in. Yeah, sounds a lot easier than getting a, a, a semi permanent marker out and a ruler and trying to draw lines connecting. That was, yeah, I never yeah, felt good doing that. that. Always felt a bit of a. I remember Ian Griffiths once saw a little video I had back in the day years ago doing that on somebody, and he was like, Matt, what do you really think you're achieving by drawing in them with? And at the time, I was like, Ian, shut up, mate. This is my business. What are you doing? Kind of calling me out on Twitter. And he goes, and, he, and that's what I loved about Ian. He was going, mate, I think a lot of this is just for the theatre. And I was like, Ian, what are you doing? And, you know, but it did make me think, I mean, how accurate is this? You know, but when you've got something like you've got, something that's not going to move around, something that um, can actually be reproduced. Yeah, um, it's, it's, you know, the, it's the stuff that they use in the research labs, the stuff yeah. that they use. So it came from the Upper Orthopaedic Centre. So where, what they use in specialist hospitals, we've just made it easy to use. Um, and a bit more affordable because your your gay labs in a hospital will probably be about a million pounds. That's not yeah. realistic for most independent clinicians. Yeah. So let's take um to translate it into kind of for the runner who's listening and also maybe the therapist who's just starting out and thinking about offering gate analysis. Let's imagine, let's take first of all, because I think we'll see later on there's a difference. Let's take a runner who's come to you because they're suffering from um let's not say current, but they keep getting Achilles pain pain in the Achilles in the calf okay how what would they expect to find from a visit to one of your clinics involving gait analysis so uh, yeah okay so I mean the first thing is in terms of if they a calf or an Achilles injury right I wouldn't assess them while they're in pain so they've got to be able to do their run without pain so the first part of the treatment may be getting them out of pain whichever process we do whether that's rehab or some interventions or whatever then what we're going to be doing is looking at, uh, and there's a danger of look, trying to say, right, we've got this measurement here, this measurement here. What we're looking for are patterns, right? And, and what, what the system's very good at is directing you to where you think the primary problem might be. So I will look at sagittal plane function, right? So that's, you know, um, this sort of movement within your leg to look at whether or not I feel there's a dominance of function at the ankle, knee, or hip, right? Because we see some people where, you can determine that they're actually probably using their ankle to drive the gait, so they're using their calf more, right? So that may be one of the indications. We can look at the transverse and frontal plane uh, function to see whether or not we think there are any control issues. And then we can look at their gait parameters such as step length, step width, vertical excursion. And we also get the graph, so you can look at time points on the graph. So what it's trying to do to me is say, right, is there anything that's obvious here for this particular person? Friend of mine, we've taken a history and we've worked out it's not their training patterns and stuff. So we're assuming there's something intrinsic that we want to deal with. 
Um, is, there, is there anything obvious and where am I going to focus? Where will be the quickest gains? Right? We'll also do a strength and flexibility assessment. And it's surprising how many people have very specific weaknesses. So I quite often say to my patients now, you don't run to get fit, you get fit to run. So you have to get back in the gym. You have to, you have to do your graft in the gym if you want to be able to do this. And it's kind of about positioning them somewhere and say, right, here's where you're at at the moment. Where do you want to be? What do you need to get there? Brilliant. No, I like that. Um, well, so let me, I'm going to put that quote on here. You don't run to get fit, you get fit to get run, to fit to run. Yeah, that's good. You don't run to get fit, you get fit. You don't run to get fit, you get fit to run. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Do you work in the gym? Um, yeah, so it's interesting what you say. Yeah, go on. Sorry, Jess, go on. I just said, talking about Achilles, and I know I know, Ross won't mind us saying, but we did Ross Murray um, the other week. So 1500 Olympian um, and had his basically career, I think he had Achilles and calf problems throughout his career. And we put him on the run 3D. And he had literally was running with his ankles. So all the power was coming through his Achilles and his ankles. It was, you know, it just kind of points to that and said, this, this is this is why you've got the problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, he is trying to come up with the best rehab solution to try and address that. So, so the challenge with someone like that is that you've got to change the point of power generation. And there's no evidence for it, right? There are people where you do it this way. But there is lots of evidence that if you get your posterior chain strength right, that you offset uh, a number of injuries. So with someone like that, we would be wanting to do more of a hip drive, right? So focus more proximally and then bigger muscle groups anyway. But for someone to do that, you can't just say drive with your hip. They have to do the rehab, they have to do the training with it. It's not an overnight type thing. And we'll be up front with them and say, look, this is where we think you're at. Here's your evidence base. This is what you need to do, but you keep getting injured. So what do you want to do? Right, and, and because there's always the fear that you don't get rid of any force, right? You just put it somewhere else. Now, if you're going to put it somewhere else, if you rehab them to put it somewhere else, it's different. Just saying, try and put it there. Yeah. Quite often, if you want to undergo like a gateway training program and change the way that somebody runs, that has to be done in conjunction with a, a strength and conditioning program, so that you do prepare the other area that you're going to shift that load to in order to take it. And that will inevitably cause a reduction, you know, or require a reduction in mileage and able to be able to do that. And that's what I was like, unfortunately. <laughs> no, it never proves that popular, does it? Funnily enough, runners, uh, runners are runners because they don't like standing in front of a mirror flexing their muscles. It's yeah, the opposite, so it can be tricky. That's fine. So if somebody, if somebody trains over a slow period of time and does everything right, they can run and be effective with awful mechanics. We know that. I mean, I've seen some footballers whose mechanics, you just pray they never get injured, right? But that's fine. But if there will be a threshold for everyone, right? And if, if they want to perform here, right, but they actually have to rehab here and they're not prepared to do it, right, then they have to accept they're at more risk of injury, right? So it's about them understanding what they need to do, but maybe changing their goals. So saying like, well, I can only dedicate this amount of time because I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, right? So I'm going to stick with 5Ks or whatever. I'm not going to try and run around because I know I can't do the training for that. So it's about saying to you, well, what do you want to do? Well, realistically, you're going to get injured unless you invest this amount of time to be able to achieve to the level you want to achieve. Or you've got to take a long time to slowly build up to that. Yeah, no, it's, it sounds like, 
I mean, it's great. It's 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 music to my ears. But yeah, you're definitely taking a. I think we can use the word okay, a more holistic approach these days, where you like you just mentioned, you know, how you're going to fit in. What can you possibly do in your life to make this change? How many times can you get down to the gym? It's silly just therapists giving orders out. And I think this is a problem with people mm-hmm. looking after runners. You give these kind of textbook orders out, and you don't even see whether it's realistic. I mean, someone might not be able to do this twice a week or etc. If they've got kids. So, what about? I mean, when you said. Okay, so they were driving with their foot. Um, I mean, sometimes it's nice when the runner knows it. Sometimes you can ask a question and the runner says, yeah, I'll give it a little push off at the end because that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Because then you can actually work with that. It's not always the case. But how do you decide whether you need – because an alternative to getting into thrust more from the hip is making his calf and Achilles more able to handle that his style of running. Maybe some yeah. of that level runs that way. Yeah. So how do you decide which is which? You've got to bear in mind, often they, I, I can think of one particular case who was a sponsored athlete and a uh, um, uh, scholarship in the States. And they rehabbed him to death. He had injections, he had all sorts, but he hadn't run for three years. And it was fairly obvious from his game that there were certain factors that you look at. So you're looking at the different angles of, of, of ankle, hip, and knee, but also looking at the kinematic curves. So if they got, a, it's obviously very plantar flexed at toe off. That's a good indication. Um, and if they've got no hip extension, then they're obviously driving on a high, high vertical excursion. They're obviously doing that. And, that, and his factors were he couldn't run. He hadn't run mm. for years. So it was saying to him, right, well, you're going to have to spend quite some time rehabbing and really changing your gait if you're going to do this. And he, you know, he spent about eight months in the gym. Um, and he got back and he's, if I tell you, he's a 14, 15, 5K runner. Uh, he just did his, uh, he did his first marathon that year. He's just done another one. He tightened up a bit towards the end and then so had to slow down and he did 2.30. Yeah, so he's back running. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He put the timing in the gym, right, mm. to, to be able to do that. And actually through the process, you quite often have to reevaluate them. And sometimes they go too far the other way and they get different niggle because you've got strain somewhere else and it's about working do you think this is an area where not just podiatrists, but maybe physios and sports therapists, if you're looking after somebody, there is going to come a time where you do need to help them put the time in the gym. Are most podiatrists trained in strength and conditioning to the extent that they can give suitable advice to what that person needs to do in the gym? Or is it an extra level of education that they need to take on to provide to be able to provide that surface? Or should podiatrists just be referring out to a strength and conditioning coach or something? Well, I, I, would, I wouldn't say that the, the baseline training gives you that, that information. That's extra training you have to do. And let's make it clear. I don't do any of the rehab myself. I refer them. Right? So I'll, right. I'll refer them. Yeah, that's not, that's not my skill. I mean, yeah. it, you can learn to do it, but I'd rather be seeing new patients and making a diagnosis and then working with people. Um, okay. and people that do it all the time, that, that's to me. Someone like Nick Knight, who that's his area of interest and he's really good at rehab, Absolutely no reason for, for that. You know, it's a bit like, you know, physios looking at the way someone runs and giving them orthotics or, you know, sure advice and stuff. There's there's a whole host of overlap, you know, and I think it's where your particular skills are. Yeah, it's interesting because I do think the lines are becoming a little bit more blurred, particularly as I think that the, the, the moving forwards, we need to see our patients less than probably we used to. I think the whole healthcare system is depending on us helping patients self-manage to learn to change things, not just relying on us seeing us every week, 
So in order to make a living, I wonder whether the expertise provided by clinicians need to be evolving and we're kind of encroaching on just to set myself up as, for example, let's take um, a physio. If all they're doing is just analyzing, ruling out red flags and then maybe referring to another specialist, it's tough to make a living unless you've got that constant flow of patients coming in. So do you think the boundaries are merging now? Uh, and if so, do you think that's a bad thing or is it just a natural kind of involvement of healthcare provision? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is overlap. There's natural overlap. Um, I think it's probably um, uh, a natural evolution. Um, I mean, uh, it is a, it's a good point. I mean, there are, as more and more people run, right? I mean, it's not just runners that get injured. Like, you know, and, and for me, when I first started looking at sports medicine, the, the stuff that I learned, I used to apply to a 70-year-old patient I was seeing in the hospital because they get the same injuries, but just for a different reason, right? You know, it's the, the same pathology. Um, and therefore, you can apply that across the board. And I think some of the stuff that comes out about the best way to rehab and the levels to go to is really interesting. And, and there's a definite overlap to a general caseload. So I think there's enough work out there. Right. I mean, I think if you're feeling that you have to bring patients back every week in order to be able to keep the clinic busy so that you've got a business, you probably won't get those referrals. Mm. I wonder how many professionals do live that way, though. I think there is a problem amongst therapists now who are realizing, hold on, I'm trying to be more evidence based and, and give and, and, and empower patients to make them feel weak and feel weak about their body. And, but I'm actually that way. I'm not guaranteeing previously my budget was making sure this patient comes back six times. And now I'm just sending them away after one or two. And there's a bit of a re-education, I think about making a living out of this business. I don't know. What do you think, Jess? Um, well, I'm, I'm not a clinician, <laughs> um, but you know, as a, as a runner, or even if I was a clinician, my goal would certainly be to, to fix them as quickly as possible. Because ultimately then they're gonna tell their running club and everyone they do park run with that you fix them after two sessions, which in itself is gonna bring back a whole load of people. I think I would prefer my reputation to be the one that gets people sorted as opposed to the one who books you in automatically for six sessions. You know, that's just not a good, a good way to That's the ideal. There are yeah. some people as well. So you've got to also take the, the patient's personality. So there'll be some people say, tell me what I can do. I'm going to go off and I'll work it. There's other people go, you know what? I just know me. I'd rather come in and see you because I'd like you to spend the time with me because it'll do right. So there's a little bit of that. So it's, if, if the patient's making a conscious decision, they want to do that because they want the feedback. But that's them. Yeah. Yeah. Not <laughs> I think you're very right. I was just thinking that, yeah. I mean, there are patients who, yeah, they, they know that they should be doing it by themselves and they can do it by themselves, but they prefer to come in and they're happy coming in to pay you um, to guide them. And yeah, but it's just that gray area of, of clinicians are out there who probably unconsciously are just getting that patient to come back. I'm thinking more now for manual therapy, whether it's an adjustment or a massage or something like that, when really at like 60 pound a pop or something, that patient doesn't need to be doing that. They could just be managing their training. They could be uh, doing different types of training and not just relying on that. Let's say manual therapy, for example, or that adjustment. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, I personally think if I was finished with my goal would be to get people back as as quickly as I could. And I guess that's the whole philosophy behind the Run3D system is like understanding the underlying problem, right? Yeah. Exactly. 
are doing is, is not it's not a quick fix and we're very straight to say that when patients come in we're not this isn't going to magically fix you tomorrow what it will do is understand why you've got injured in the first place and we know that that is the long-term solution to putting it right right you have to treat both the, the cause and yeah, you've got to have treat the short term pain as well if you can um but ultimately my goal would be to get runners back in the, in the long term and address what caused it in the first place I think that's one of the beauties of of gay analysis and something which like from what i've seen from the run 3d package is offered gay analysis is more of an education it's not a treatment you know you're analyzing you're working with the runner you're doing pre-gate analysis questions and getting to know them and, and what yeah. a runner is going to walk away with is a much more concise yeah. set of answers rather than come back you need me to do this to you you need me to do this yeah. too so yeah exactly. okay right what about um, let's move on to a runner who comes to you who just wants to be able to get better at their park run or they just want to, they've plateaued and they, they've heard that maybe it's because their running form looks a bit weird. They want you to look at them and help improve their performance. Is that something you can get involved in? Um, so in terms of, kind of people who come to us uninjured, it would very much depend on what their level is to start with. So we see, as we say, lots of kind of couch to 5K runners who've just taken up running. And those ones are, you know, they do tend to display the classic overextended knee, heavy heel strike, high high impact peak and, and rage and things like that. And for those people, you can make fairly slight modifications that you know will help in the long run. I mean, simply telling them to land with a softer knee um, is gonna is gonna reduce that that breaking impact, reduce that rate of that rate of that first impact peak of the ground reaction force, and be a benefit. However, if you've got somebody in who consistently runs 120 miles a week and they've never been injured, you know, then you'd be like, okay, well, you probably don't want to change much in terms of your gait. However, there may well be some things in your kind of strength and that kind of thing that we can optimize to help you stay at this level. And this kind of goes back to what Trevor was talking about previously about that, that threshold essentially of you know the strength the biomechanics the flexibility it's piecing the whole thing together um and trying to understand what, what works for that runner so it very much depends on the type of runner coming in as to what we would what we would recommend that's a great distinction i think because i think sometimes runners might presume that gait analysis is for the kind of serious competitive runner who's already doing like loads and loads of miles a week and they're fine-tuning it but what you've just suggested maybe is that the runner who's got off the couch and they're getting into it now should therefore come in to maybe iron out some potential potential yeah. risk factors before they start maybe running a, a, a poor way too soon. Yeah. The only uh, bit of caution left out there, the evidence base of being able to do stuff and prevent injury mm. is pretty weak at best. And therefore, I think, you know, I, I don't see that many people who want to do that, but it would be a case of saying to them, look, the evidence base is limited. You've got a couple of features that have been associated with injuries, right? You either want to think about addressing those, or you may want to take a little bit longer at how you build up your mileage so that your body can cope with that and become stronger. Flexibility, if, that, if that's an issue with it. And so it's a bit about being honest with them about how much they need to do. I think, I think that's quite important. I think yeah, I'd say that's part of gate analysis. I mean, I, I champion gate analysis because it's not, I don't know whether we need to change the word. For me, gate analysis is not just let's look at your gate. It's about analyzing that runner as a person. It's looking at their training program. It's looking at their strength and everything. That's part of the package, isn't it? Yeah, 
yeah. yeah, it's kind of looking at those what we call intrinsic and extrinsic risk factors, right? The, the intrinsic mm. ones, their gait, their strength, their neuromuscular control, their flexibility, how their bones are aligned, so kind of anatomical structure, but then yeah. also coupling that with the extrinsic, the footwear, the surface type they run on, whether they want to run a 5K or a marathon, and it's piecing all of that together to come up with what's what's the best solution for that person. But, but you've got a lot of experience in gait analysis, so for you, you realise that that whole process has to be undertaken. For the runner that's listening, might think, all I'm going to do is go into gait analysis, they're going to tell me X, Y, and Z, and off I go. Right? Mm. I think we make an assumption that people know what we're going to be doing in that whole process, and it's only mm. then that you go through it and you talk to them and go, oh, right, okay, I get it now. That makes more sense. So I think it's easy for us to sit here and talk about it, but all the runners listening in need to know that it's not a case of just going in, right, see a couple of lines, get this shoe, see you later. Right? Definitely. You know, the whole process that goes around it. Yeah, yeah. But that should excite runners. I think that's all what we put on our websites and when people call up, explain to them what we're actually going to do with them. But if you just advertise yourself as come along for an hour for a running consultation, we'll talk about your programs, your diet. You might get a few in, but the attraction of the 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 technology, the lights, the markers, this obviously sells itself to runners. So I like to think that we've got this opportunity where, yeah, we can provide you with some great data, but we'll also be providing you with the evidence. Maybe the actual running part isn't the most important factor here. We'll look at it, but you know what? We can help you. This is why you need our help. We'll help you with this. It's your training. And we may even refer you out. If we're comfortable with training plans and coaching, we can do it ourselves. But if not, you know we're going to refer you out to somebody who's on the same page as us. Yeah. So cool, yeah? Taking into account everything, right? Yeah, I think so. Just uh, to help you create that, build that picture, build that, put that puzzle together, ultimately. Yeah. Which kind of means then that if a clinician out there is giving gait analysis for runners, they need to be quite a, a, an experienced runner themselves. Is that fair to say? Or is that... Trevor's <laughs> <laughs> shaking his head. <laughs> one half marathon once. <laughs> yeah, you did it well. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, I think they need to understand biomechanics um, and musculoskeletal systems, but yeah, don't need to, don't need to be a run. Because as you said, you know, the way that you move, walking, running, it helps sometimes to be in their mindset, but... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, to, yeah, exactly. To be in their mindset. I mean, that's a big one, isn't it? Understanding you know, why they come to see. I, mean, I have a sports scientist that, that does the data collection for us, and he's a good level runner. So he obviously has a chat with them as well, and they, all, they always get a lot out of that. But oh, that's good. My, my knowledge of running is not gleaned from my expertise at the, uh, the discipline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I injured, how did I myself a while ago? What did I have? Oh, just when I moved from buggy to increasing the distance, doing a little bit more interval training, one of my Achilles, again, historically has been a bit of a weak point. So it was on my mind. But yeah, that started going. And it was interesting because it put me back into perspective of what it's like to be an injured runner. And straight away, I'm worrying, oh my God, it's degenerative. It's going to be an ongoing issue. I'm, I'm reaching this age now. And all my catastrophization started. And then I kind of thought, geez, I know about this. I know it's just because... I've start, done too much too soon. It's not a long-term chronic problem, but I was still feeling everything that patients feel when they come to see us, and I think it's quite useful. I think it's good if if therapists get injured now and again, just to remind them what it's like. Yeah, so Does that makes sense. Maybe maybe farther when you said it was when you came off the buggy running, because I think that actually when you buggy run, it actually takes some of the load off, and then obviously mm -hmm. you stop doing it, so it's suddenly now your full body weight, and mm -hmm. 
yeah, you did too much too soon because your aerobically your fitness is there, but your musculoskeletal system has been running with a, a man who's 15 kilos lighter than you. And it, you know, some of the way it goes through the work. But True. I, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, I would love to get on a course plate integrated treadmill and try it, but some of it must go through that bugging. And then all of a sudden your body's not adapted. Yeah. So, so running with the increased load, but your cardiovascular system can, can cope with it. Yeah. But when people look at you with a buggy and say, wow, that must be hard to push, then you don't tell them this, do you? You go, yeah, it's really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I do. Oh, it's really yeah. much harder. Yeah. The best ones are the ones who say to you, it's easier, isn't it? You've got something to lean on. You're like, do you want to have a go? <laughs> yeah, you take these two. How about, I mean, obviously, I'm such a devil's advocate because I'm really probably over the top evidence based as well. So, Trevor, you, you mentioned that the evidence isn't very clear out there. What, do, what, currently do you take from the evidence which makes you look out potentially for injury risk is there anything out there which you would look at because there's a little bit stronger evidence or the evidence is pointing towards that direction when you look at the way someone runs no maybe they've maybe it coincides where they have let's take itb strain for example maybe someone has had ITB issues in the past. They're not currently suffering from it, but in the case history, it says they've struggled with that a couple of times. Anything in their running form which might make you think, you know what, we could tweak this because this has been associated with? I, I, I suppose is it. So the thing for me with getting, when I first started using the 3D, I thought I knew loading biomechanics pretty well. Mm. I started looking at results going, oh, really? How much did I not know? <laughs> right. Okay, fine. Let's start learning again. And I think is that for me, it was a case of saying, I want to look at the system as a whole, not one little bit. And I guess if, if someone's not injured, I might look at those big markers that are obviously, you know, you've got an excessive step length, you know, you've got high vertical excursion, something like that, or you're really flexing your knee, or you're not flexing it enough. I mean, I think there is something around um, knee flexion uh, during stance, though, if you've got reduced knee flexion, I think there's, there's a bit of evidence around that. There's some stuff around hip internal rotation, you know, that's limited, um, certainly with some of the athletes. So I might look at some of those, but but again, it's it, you're taking that individual, aren't you? And so just saying, I'll look at these particular factors, it, well, what are you wanting to do? Right? What, what do you want to do? So why are we looking at that? Right? And how bad is it? And is it just one side? Is it just the way you do it? So it's a kind of difficult question to answer. Oh right? yeah, I know, that's why I asked you. <laughs> I asked it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is difficult but your answer was perfect so that's fine yeah it's tricky um yeah so you. yeah go on jess yeah. what factors do you tend to look out for then you put someone on the treadmill you're not going to jump to conclusions but you mentioned put it in baby language for runners who aren't quite sure what vertical oscillation is or even runners who don't understand what stride length is or something what are you looking at that the basic runner might understand um, so we, we, as kind of Trevor suggested, we tend to break people down in what we call the power plane. So that's looking at them from sideways on. So there we're looking at how, how straight their knee is when they strike the ground. So when they land, how bent it becomes during stance. So during the time that your foot's on the ground, how bent your ankle is at foot strike or whether you, whether you mid foot strike. Your, your pelvic tilt, so whether you're tilted forward, so like women tend to be a little bit more anteriorly tilted than males. Um, and then what we call the power, power plane, so key things we look out for. And then we have what we call the control planes, which are much more subtle movements, but nonetheless have been related to specific injuries. 
So things like how much your pelvis tilts upwards and downwards as you run, how much your knee collapses inwards, how much your rear foot everts, um, and then you have the spatial temporal parameters, so things like cadence, if you're everyone, you know, how many steps you're taking per minute, overstride, so how far ahead your foot is from your center of mass when you land, your step width as well, and then vertical excursion is how much you're bouncing up and down when you run, um, so kind of efficiency-wise, you don't want to be bumping up and down like a, like a gazelle, because then you're wasting energy going up and down and less so going forwards. So we look at a whole host of things, and it's interpreting that with regards to the case that's coming, right? It's so important to interpret that data in light of the patient that's sitting in front of you. I think that's, that's the key to it, and that's where the expertise of the clinician comes into it. Fantastic. No, great list. So, um, I mean, any runner listening to that will probably be, oh my God, they'll be able to look at so much. Uh, but then also you put the caveat in that, yeah, we'll look at all of this, but we're also looking at you, the person, individual, as to how this relates to you. So, yeah, fantastic package. Good. Well, and we're excited. I mean, I must thank you in person again for coming down because you're going to be showing this at the conference, aren't you, in Brighton in well, 17 really days? About, yeah, really excited about joining you. So, for anyone listening who's coming down, if you bring your shorts, then we can probably pop you on. It means that I don't have to run for the entire of two days, which is normally what happens. <laughs> no, it's going to be great. So people, so you're happy for people to come down and if they've got time in one of the breaks or in the lunch, to actually have a, you have a look at their running, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Wicked. Well, there you go. I'm sure a few people will be coming down, bringing down their running anyway. If you are coming to the conference, and obviously you're coming to Brighton with a flat beach. The weather's going to be probably terrible. It's horrible at the moment. So bring a raincoat as well as your shorts. But um, yeah, as well as that, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be wonderful to have some real life people on the treadmill um, and a chance for clinicians to see um, what you offer because it's getting quite popular, isn't it? The one three D is a package for for therapists yeah. to use. Yeah, it is. We're, we're growing. So yeah, we've got 13 clinics across the UK and Europe at the moment. So um, it's good. It's exciting. We've just had a, had a research partnership with Andy Franklin Meadows Group at the uh, Sports Surgery Clinic in Dublin as well. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of <laughs> Good. Now, here we go. Uh, Andrew Lindsay, his name comes up an awful lot. He's very popular on social media. Do you know Andrew? I don't know. Oh, well, here you go. Andrew meets uh, Trevor and uh, Jess. Yeah, Andrew says, awesome interview again for the podcast listeners. Can't wait for the RCL conference. See you there. Um, I think Andrew's a psychiatrist, yeah. if I remember rightly. Sorry, Andrew, if you're not, I'm pretty sure you are. We'll see. Um, Trevor, I'm I'm sorry that you um, aren't able to come and speak with us. You should be there, obviously. Um, I'm sorry that actually I'm making it sound like you turned it down, but uh, you weren't in my original list of ten. So I really apologise. <laughs> I was thinking in my head, Matt, don't be an idiot. You didn't even ask the guy. But um, um, yeah, it was so difficult finding ten people. I mean, uh, but um, yeah, hopefully next year if we can sort yeah. it out, then we'll definitely have you along because obviously when it comes to uh, running, you should be up there um, at the top. Um, but yeah, Jess, it'd be great to have you down there with your team. Um, who are you bringing down with you? Uh, Ken. So, uh, Ken. Ken, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so oh, good. I'm glad Ken's going to be there. That's good news. Um, what actually only also works for Trevor. So, There's my sports scientist. Yeah. Oh, there we go. So it's not just Ken. It's a sports scientist. Yeah. That's good. Ken, the legend that is Ken. Brilliant. And um, right, well, I'm conscious of the time because you guys are doing, just let us know just um, what's coming up in your future, both of you. What have you got coming up in the next few months apart from the conference? Um, so we're quite quiet now, actually. I don't know if you know we bought a mobile unit. So we've actually oh, seen a fair few photos of it. It looks amazing. Yeah. Spent 
you know, the last month taking Run 3D to various running events. So we did Run Fest Run back in May. We did the Windsor Running Festival yeah. a couple of weeks ago. We've done Richmond and we've done Bedford. And if any any clinicians out there, we can do 3D gait analysis in a tent in a field. I mean, that's that must be a first in the world of 3D motion capture. And it works. It's brilliant. We have to have a blackout tent, obviously. Our cameras don't really like the light. Mm. Um, but yeah, so we've been busy with that. Obviously, it's quietened down now a little bit over the winter, but we are booked for the Brighton Marathon next year. And oh, you're coming over Brighton? Oh, wicked. Oh, fantastic. We are there with a full setup. Um, oh, so fantastic. if any event organisers there who want us to come with our, with our mobile unit, then we're happy to do so. It's, 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 we're very popular. <laughs> we're very important. That's great to hear. That's good. And Trevor, yourself, what have you got coming up in the next few months? Uh, oh, I've got talking about now. So <laughs> Sunday I'm going to talk. Always look forward to that. Um, at the College of Podiatry London branch. Um, then I'm at the College of Podiatry conference later in November. I'm going over to the uh, SSC conference, the running conference in Ireland. And then and part of my job is at uh, Queen Mary University of London in the sports medicine department, where there's a podiatric uh, sports medicine uh, PG cert and the uh, sports and exercise medicine master. So we get involved in some of the research um, that the students have to do for their masters. So you can kind of set the agenda a little bit. So we're trying to develop a, a range of studies that we can start to analyze some of these questions that, uh, that, that we've, we've talked about today because I'm. For, for me, it's about getting the numbers and actually let's look and see what we're doing. I, I, I truly believe that there are sort of three or four patterns of dysfunction for anyone injured. So if you take those people that you know, rule out it was a training problem, it was this, it was that. So those people, it was a recurrent. And in fact, Camilla's done some work on athletic groin pain. They found three patterns of dysfunction. Mm. Uh, and, and that's what I kind of like to look at. Oh, fantastic, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's thanks to people like yourself that that we're not all just slagging off shoe shops doing pronation. It's good that someone's actually making a difference in the background. So yeah, thank you people like yourself. And we had Izzy Moore on a while back, who's very much involved in the research. So yeah, um, as always, thank you so much. Cause it's so difficult, isn't it? The research for runners and finding something which is actually statistically relevant. So thank you. Well, look, um, time's running out. I know you guys are moving on to great things. So thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Um, Jess, I'm looking forward so much to having you down in Brighton. That's going to be great. I think you're bringing the tent to that as well, aren't you? Just in case we we've got light issues. <laughs> a, a great spot for you, Jess, in a glass atrium. <laughs> yeah, in a glass atrium. I didn't quite think of that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. But yeah, but we can always move it. I'm still looking at potentially there's another place on the other side which has got less glass. So we'll, we'll sort it out in the day. Um, People want to get in touch with you. Where's the best place? Are you mo are you active on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or anywhere? Uh, Instagram, just that run three D. Yeah, yeah. Or run three D clinical. If you're, is more geared towards the clinicians. So we have yeah. one, one of the clinicians. And Trevor, conversation wise, are you still active on social media? Or have you got more important things to do? No, no, no. I I have a, an account on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. But I I tell you what what what. what Gets me is because you'll bear in mind that I started practicing before there were mobile phones and exactly. Internet. I remember the day that my office got internet connection on that side, but it's kind of I get you get messages from people every different thing, just email me, right? Just put it all in one place, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it makes I'm sense. Do Facebook morning, Facebook and Twitter. Okay, brilliant. Well, if people listening to this have enjoyed, um, just is it Leech or Leech? At Leech. Leach, sorry, I didn't yeah, check. But... If people have enjoyed Jessica Leach, then yes, uh, run um, run three D 
um either instagram or facebook or twitter and then trevor is it trevor underscore prior most places are you trevor no, no, it's yeah. oh, we'll make sure it's in the notes anyway if, if, yeah. if darchi's out there do want to contact you or, or, or um yeah so um thank you very much um i'm going to send you back down to the lobby and then just say goodbye to people and then stick around there because i'll come and say thanks in person as well in a couple of minutes thanks guys thank you so much fantastic what a great balanced pair i mean it's it's i love the way that jess is able to put it into what i call baby language i mean that's great it's such a trait which i think a lot of therapists miss out on um you do need to be able to talk not just about vertical oscillation and and um, cadence you need to put it into language runners can understand um, and I also very much admire and and jealous of Trevor's, Tre uh, Trevor Pryor's patience and experience in terms of not jumping in and attacking people, which I am guilty of doing sometimes. Um, and yeah, and coming up with a solution as opposed to just commenting on a problem, which, you know, thinking about it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So a great duo there. I hope you've taken a lot away from it. Um, as always, uh, this uh, podcast was recorded live on Facebook. Um, it's always nice if you can join us and ask questions to the guests. So thanks to Matt Hart and Andrew Lindsay and other people who've joined us live. Um, after it is made as a podcast on Acast and on um, Spotify and iTunes. So thank you once again. One chat, uh, 35 um, episode. Uh, remember, £100 up for grabs um, for either a both day ticket for therapists or a virtual ticket. All you've got to do is post on your social media. Uh, the speaker I'm most looking forward to um, at the One Chat Live International Running Conference on October 30, 31st is bum. Friday. I will collate those uh, posts and I'll choose somebody and give them a £100 voucher to go towards the ticket. OK, thank you very much for joining us. Um, we will be back. I don't know. It's always something. I'm supposed to look at. Keep an eye on social media um, and you can see who we'll be talking to next. Uh, but for now, thank you for joining us uh, and we'll see you very soon. Bye bye. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.